What's going on, everybody? Mike back with another episode of Hobby Talk. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen to the show. Today, I'll be joined by Garrett Unruh, a longtime through the mail autograph collector. He's here to talk a little bit about collecting autographs through the mail and also the process of getting them authenticated and slabbed and why you really want to look into doing that for your collection. And we'll also touch on the 2018 NFL Hall of Fame class. Garrett, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Definitely really excited to talk to you. We have a lot of stuff to discuss today, a lot of stuff you're involved in. But before we get into the cards the autographs, the authentication. We got to talk about the NFL Hall of Fame class of 2018. The NFL, they finally went ahead and announced the 2018 class, and it kind of can get lost in the shuffle because it comes shortly after Major League Baseball announces their Hall of Fame class, and it's right there with the Super Bowl. So there's just so much information going on. I feel like a lot of people don't get the chance to uh, listen to and discuss the NFLers who uh, will be enshrined in Canton, so definitely happy to have you on board, and I know you're really into this subject, so I just want to get your initial thoughts on this Hall of Fame class. Um, I would say there there wasn't a whole lot of surprise with Ray Lewis and Randy Moss. I think most of us knew for a fact they were going to be first ballot Hall of Famers. I was really happy to see Terrell Owens get in. I think uh, he got robbed last year by the Riders. He had such a and maybe a negative personality during his playing career. I think a lot of the writers snubbed him last year, even though he deserved it. So I was happy to see him and uh, get in with Randy Moss. I really don't think Randy Moss should have got in before him, so I'm happy to see him going together. Um, my personal predictions, I didn't think Brian Erlacher was going to get in this year. It definitely wasn't due to him not deserving it. I think the guy's a stud. He played like 13, I believe it was 13 seasons. Um, I forget how many all, uh, all pros he has, but he was a defensive player of the year. He was named to the all-decade team of the 2000s. And he had, yeah, he had eight eight Pro Bowls in 13 seasons. So no doubt, Hall of Fame caliber player. I just didn't think he was going to get in this year because I thought Ray Lewis was going to overshadow him. So I was pleasantly surprised and wrong at that. Um I was happy to see Brian Dawkins get in as well. They needed to start letting in some of these safeties. We got him, Ty Law, and John Lynch. You know, so they kind of are getting a backlog of players. I personally thought Ty Law was going to get in this year. Um, I just can't see him keep getting robbed year after year. They got to get him in there before too long. As far as the contributor they had in Bobby Bassard, I'm happy to see him. I'll be honest, I didn't know a whole lot about him until that I'd seen that he was a finalist. I believe it was in Uber somewhere there. They, they announced that he was a finalist or contributor. And so I did a bunch of research and sent out to him. And I had a, a great email dialogue back and forth with his wife for about a month. And we can get into that later on in the, in the podcast. Jerry Kramer, I know people have been saying that he deserves to get in for, heck, as long as I've been collecting, I've been hearing that he should get in. And uh, so he finally got the call. And then another guy that I was wrong about, I actually had him on the no way in hell list, <laughs> was uh, uh, Robert Brazil. I just didn't think he had what it took. Um, I'm from Houston, so I'm a huge Houston Oilers fan. So once again, I was happy I was wrong. Um, but I know he was a first-round pick to the Oilers. I believe it was 90, 
or excuse me, the 1975 Defensive Rookie of the Year, all-time decade team in 1970, and a seven-time Pro Bowler. So, I mean, he had the numbers. I just didn't think they would do two um, old-timers together. I kind of thought Jerry Kramer was going to overshadow Robert Brazil, and he was going to get the shaft, if you will. Yeah, it's an interesting list. It's a pretty strong list. I don't know that there's any shockers for me. And I really can't complain about the list. When you look at the finalists, because the NFL Hall of Fame is kind of interesting, they usually announce like the modern era nominees, and it's like around 100. It's just a large list. Then they kind of announce semifinalists, which they get right. down to 25 or 30. Then you have the modern era finalists, which is, I think, it's what, 15 guys. Then they yeah. finally announce the class. You know, I thought the only one that was an absolute lock was Ray Lewis. I, I thought he was... Uh, no doubt about it. There was no shot he wasn't getting in. I expect that Moss and Owens to get in, but you know the way Owens didn't get in right away, even though I think we all agree he's a Hall of Fame player, he certainly had some issues, some locker room issues, and that made me a little bit hesitant for Moss. Again, another no doubt about it Hall of Famer. I just thought maybe he would sort of get that same treatment. You know, because again, he's another guy who had a little bit of locker room issues a few times in his career. And like you said, I, I agree on our lacquer. Uh, I didn't necessarily expect him to get in this time, but, you know, you, you can't say he's not a Hall of Famer. I mean, he's just one of those guys. He's an iconic uh, player for the Bears. And yeah, he's on that Bears team that went to the Super Bowl a number of years ago, you know, in the Rex Grossman era. So, you know, he's. And and Dawkins, people in Philadelphia, where I'm from, have been screaming about him since last year. They were upset. So it's certainly a solid list. I just wasn't sure how things would shake out because I honestly thought one of the modern-day offensive linemen were going to get in, either Fanica or Steve Hutchinson. I thought if one of those guys got in, that's where we could see, you know, this group shift a little bit. And personally... Uh, as a Patriots fan, I was hoping to see Ty Law get in, but I do think he'll get in in due time. But he, he came up a little short this year, but I certainly believe at some point he, uh, he'll he find his way to Canton. I think I think next year is going to line up perfectly for a lot of these guys. Alan Fanica, Ty Law, Tony Baselli, um, Kevin Maway, uh, who else? Isaac Bruce, Joe Jacoby, Ezrin James, John Lynch. It's going to open up a lot because – Kind of the big name for first ballot next year is Troy Palomalu. And, yeah, he was really iconic during his time, but I just don't know if he's a first ballot. I mean, I was definitely wrong this year on a couple. But when it comes to who's eligible next year that wasn't this year, Troy Palomalu is the biggest name. And you could debate that he's even a huge name. And so kind of where I'm getting with this, is I think that next year is going to open up for a ton of those players, because then in come 2021, you have Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, and I believe uh, Patrick Willis. That's his first year, too. So then you're going to have another huge class with huge names, where next year, that's not going to be the case. Yeah, I think I saw Champ Bailey was eligible, who to me is like a borderline guy, obviously a fantastic cornerback, you know, had himself a great career, but, you know. Yeah. And I think Ed Reed, is Ed Reed eligible next year, or is he two years away? Um, I think Ed Reed, actually, I think Ed Reed is next year. Because I feel like... Next year, 
Ed Reed would probably get in ahead of Palomalo, I would think. But, you know, we'll see. Sometimes multiple guys get in. You know, who knows? It just kind of depends. I believe the way the NFL does it, they just have this panel and they make presentations and they kind of they do some sort of vote and selections. And that's how they kind of get down to, you know, 20 and 15 and then 10. And then, you know, they announce the five or six or whoever gets in. But the rest of this list, like Isaac Bruce is a guy who obviously had a great career. But to me, it's not even close between him and then Moss and Owens. Those two guys, I, I think, are in a whole new like a whole nother level in terms of receiving talent. So I misspoke a little bit. It looks like Palomalu isn't eligible till 2020. So okay. that's two years from now. So next year is Ed Reed, Tony Gonzalez, and Champ Bailey are kind of the headliners for first years. I would think Reed and Gonzalez would get in. I think Champ Bailey might have to wait a few years, especially if a guy right, like I'm Ty Law to wait a few years. Cause I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't have their numbers in front of me. But Ty Law had a pick six in the Super Bowl back in 2001 uh, against Kurt Warner, which, you know, kind of set the tone for that game, which at the time was a huge upset and obviously kind of kicked off this uh, run the Patriots have had. And beyond that, he actually had a couple interceptions against Peyton Manning, I believe, in the 04 AFC Championship. And then later in his career as a chief, he intercepted Manning like three times in the postseason. So, I mean, Ty Law obviously had a great regular season career, but also had kind of consistent great performances in the postseason. So Yeah, you're correct. And you're you're blowing me away with your NFL knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how things shake out though. It's always interesting. Because I know a lot of people have talked about John Lynch and people are like, it's he's best too. But like I look at it and I, I don't know that, you know, John Lynch had a really good career, but should he have gotten in before Brian Dawkins? I, I think Brian Dawkins is probably a little bit better of a player. Um, oh, yeah. so I forget how long Lynch was in the league. I think it was about 15 years. He was a, I think he was a nine-time Pro Bowler, and then he won a Super Bowl with uh, Tampa Bay. I'm wanting to say so. He has numbers. He has the awards and the prestige. Um, it's just I think he's going to have to sit for a little bit. What about Edger and James? What do you think about him? I don't know. At first, I didn't think um, he had. You know what it takes. I think he's going to have to wait a little bit if he gets in. I think he's kind of like an Isaac Bruce. Um, James played 11 years in the NFL. He only has four Pro Bowls. Only one of those was an All-Pro. Um, I'm wanting to say in 1999, I think he was a Rookie of the Year, uh, Offensive Rookie of the Year. I don't know, and I want to see him get in. I just don't know if he has it. I think he has a little over 12,000 rushing yards. So, I mean, he's kind of on the fence there. Yeah, he kind of played during a time where I feel like running backs put up bigger numbers than they do now, um, which is just the way the game's evolved. It's continued to evolve. No more passing league. And when I saw his name on there, I thought, you know, he's a really good player, but Hall of Famer, that that's a little strong maybe. And, and I'm looking at his numbers, and it's hard to argue that he might not eventually get in. He did start off his first two years. 99 was that rookie year that you mentioned. And he actually led the NFL in rushing those first two years. He had 13 rushing touchdowns both of those seasons. And on top of that, uh, had nine receiving touchdowns combined. Uh, so he really got off to a huge start. And then he got hurt in his third year. Kind of took him two years to get back. And he did eventually get back to have some more 1,000-yard seasons, a couple 1,500-yard seasons. But I don't know. I don't think he was dominant past those first couple years. 
I guess he was was he with the Colts when they won the Super Bowl? I forget what year they won, but I know he was. No, the, he he never won a Super Bowl. I know he was with the Cardinals the year they lost, I believe. But yeah, he didn't do much by then. He was kind of a fraction of what he used to be. But you mentioned the four Pro Bowls, and you know, so many guys get named to the Pro Bowl. I, I think that's kind of a, a number that sticks out to me as he was dominant early and he had himself a good career but he didn't really dominate the nfl that long so it'll be interesting uh, i do think eventually he'll find his way in there Twelve thousand yards is pretty impressive uh, what's he have career he's got about 90 career touchdowns or so but i just hope i think a lot of these hall of fames in general i guess i'm mainly talking between football and baseball seems like in past years Definitely this year for baseball, in my personal opinion, they're kind of letting in halls of very good players. Uh, I, I just kind of hope that doesn't happen. You think Ezrin James, to me, I do not think Hall of Famer. And if that's something that you have to debate, are they a Hall of Famer? Then, in my opinion, they're probably not a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a good point. You do see that happening. And I feel like nowadays with all the communication and everyone talking a lot that makes it even tougher because everyone's making their case for the guys they really enjoy and you know like and you want to see these guys get in the hall of fame but you do you know you can have a hall of fame which is the best of the best or you can have that hall of very good where you have a lot of guys that were really good players so that that is something to kind of you know, keep in mind, because there's a lot of guys we like, but it doesn't mean they're Hall of Famers, because I've actually discussed this with people before, uh, and this is off topic of the current crop, but I know in Philadelphia, uh, people have always talked about Donovan McNabb, and everyone wants to say, oh yeah, he should be a Hall of Famer, he should be a Hall of Famer, and my, I always just say, dude, he was really good, but I don't personally, I never felt like he was a dominant, or at least for long enough, quarterback, and you know, okay. I, as a Patriots fan, obviously he's gotten pushed aside by Tom Brady, but Drew Bledsoe had a fantastic career, was really good for a while. I think people forget how good he was for a while. Uh, he was putting up great numbers in a time before the numbers were as they are now, had some just incredible little runs late in the season, and he's one of, if not my favorite player but I don't believe he's a Hall of Famer. I think he's really yeah, good. No way. And, he, and he's a he's like a Patriots Hall of Famer, but he's not an NFL Hall of Famer. I've actually had people debate, debate me saying, oh, he should be in the Hall of Fame. I'm like, I'd love him to be in the Hall of Fame, but I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. So, right, I could see if the, if the Patriots, and I don't know what they do, if they have a wall of fame or whatever. I mean, I could see if they did something like retired his number. I mean... But as far as Hall of Fame for the entire NFL, it's just not there. Yeah, yeah, and I'm just using that as an example, just kind of stating like, hey, he's a guy I really enjoy. But if you t if you're honest with yourself, like he was really good in his time, but he wasn't one of the best of all time. So I think that's something that people get caught up. Uh, sometimes people get you know all worked up and they want to kind of start putting everybody in and you do have to kind of reel back and that's kind of the way I feel about Edrin James you know I, I do think he'll eventually get in with his numbers and he was obviously very good for a while but I don't personally kind of think of him as wow that he was one of the best of all time he was the best for a couple seasons 
Yeah, absolutely. No, you're 100% correct. So of these guys who didn't get in, is there anyone who stands out that you think will get in next year? I know we touched on Ty Law, and I would you know, suspect he'll get in next year or the following year. And you mentioned Tony Baselli. Uh, any of these other guys that we're waiting on? I mean, I guess the rest of them are kind of offensive linemen, and I think Joe Jacoby, this was his last shot. Um, yeah, that's what I was say i think they're going to have to let in some of these fat guys if you will these o and d linemen i mean you could once again with them having none this year you're going to start getting a backlog you know you got sanica baselli steve hutchinson kevin mawaii um yeah you touched on um jacoby and i mean there's more coming down the pipe so um it wouldn't surprise me next year if there was two of them matter of fact i would kind of expect two of them um, with next year not being a huge class, so I mean, but we'll see. And so we've talked about this Hall of Fame class, and it's an interesting class. And now, as we shift kind of gears towards uh, the collectible aspect of this, collecting sports cards, autographs, memorabilia, uh, one of your main focuses in terms of collecting is NFL Hall of Famers. You're you're a big autograph collector in general, but you definitely seem, and you can correct me if it's wrong, uh, seem to focus on Hall of Famers, and specifically you've recently gotten into collecting Hall of Famers autographs on their rookie cards. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, I guess it's kind of been going on for about three years. It's been on kind of about a five-year stretch of mainly focusing on NFL, and what kind of did it was guys collecting these Mitch Trubisky's and all this stuff that come out and spending hundreds or thousands of dollars a year on these guys, and then they turn out to be nothing. Well, you could get Mitch Trubisky card, an autograph card, when he comes out for 100 150 bucks, but yet you can go out and get Jack Ham. You know, you can go get out and get an autograph of his for 35 bucks. Or I think, heck, you could even get an Emmett Smith autograph for $100. And these are guys that are proven all-time legends in their sport. But, yeah, you couldn't even buy a top prospect for that price. So I figured if I'm going to spend my money, why not get the greats of the, of the game, guys that have proven themselves, guys that are in the Hall of Fame. Their prices aren't going to go down because they did something stupid. You know, they're already locked and immortalized, if you will. And so once I started that, I was like, man, the only thing cooler than that to me is to get them to sign their rookie card. You know, when that rookie card came out, they didn't think that they were going to be in the Hall of Fame. They were just happy to play a game. So I kind of think it kind of brings it full picture for me. A Hall of Famer with their Hall of Fame inscription on their rookie card is really cool. And what's funny is if you remember, I'm pretty sure when you first came in the hobby as well, um, that was one thing you didn't get signed. You know, it was so taboo. Like, you don't get their rookie card signed because you're going to bring the value down. And now, I would say probably in the last two years, there's really been like a just a resurgence or just a flow of people collecting signed rookie cards. And I don't mean just NFL. I mean all guys, you know, Don Larson or Matt Hasselbeck, you name it, um, any of those dudes from any sports. Um, and so it's kind of cool, you know, getting those autographs on those rookie cards. Yeah, it's definitely uh, 
it's definitely very cool and it to me it enhances that rookie card you have that rookie card you have it signed by the player and then like you mentioned if you can get that hall of fame inscription which some guys can be tougher than others that just adds just additional i mean obviously monetary value but just like a look to it that makes it really cool so um there's definitely a trend there's a trend in general i think um i mean autographs are becoming increasingly more and more popular and you know i think there's certainly a trend going towards collecting cards as well that are autographed um obviously you have all this pack pulled stuff you can get out of products but you can tell that it's definitely um just continuing to increase in popularity getting actual physical cards signed and uh i'm a fan of it i like collecting signed cards more than anything personally i used to get a lot of baseballs and stuff like that signed and it's cool like an autographed baseball is pretty neat because it's something iconic people have been getting them signed for 75 100 years so it's neat getting them but at the same time I sit there and look at the space they take up, the fact that baseballs change colors and signatures fade, and honestly, honestly, if you get enough and you don't label them right, good luck going through like 100 baseballs and figuring out who the hell signed most of them. So there's just so many factors, Um, you know, getting signed jerseys and bats, everyone has their preference, and that stuff is all cool. And I'd like to have a little bit of that in my collection, but signed cards take up so little space. And personally, as a card collector, I just love the way certain cards look. I love the way a signature can enhance a card. If you get it signed with the right color, the right location, if it's a card that really is suited for an autograph, um, those are all things that can, you know, just to me personally just things that i really like and uh i know you definitely have an enjoyment of collecting cards i know you will do some game use stuff as well but would you kind of agree with the uh thought on trading cards being a great item to get signed i'm married and we have four kids so there's not a whole lot of room in my house for so i think put a trading card like it's a minute picture and Tons of these players have tons of trading cards. So you find what I do personally and I'll flip through there and I know I'm typically seeing two cards at a time to play. And normally one's a rookie card and the other one I just go through ComC and try to find an image that I like or a picture that I like that I think will look good um, signed. And so then you have, you know, a very cool card because cool to you you picked it out get me better than that takes up very little room at all yeah for sure and if you actually even look at it like if you're looking at it for uh, like a monetary view if you get something like a signed football or baseball if you if you get a baseball or a football or a mini helmet you're putting so much money into that item to get it signed that the value only increases so much where you can get a card that you can get for like 50 cents or two bucks and you know, it can increase by a much larger percentage. You know, if you're doing it for monetary value, I, I personally collect for my own collection, but I do keep, uh, I, I mean, I think it's important to have an idea in your head of a value, uh, you know, because at some point you may want to move some stuff. So I actually think there's a higher percentage of increased value in stuff like trading cards too, because there are a lot of people who want to. Well, I think the market is growing also for Find trading cards, and so if they can go to um, trading cards, 
and the numbers there just go up every day. They've been going up for like six months. Um, so that number's not going up because people are not buying the stuff. So people are buying so there's demand. So people are going to keep posting it. I've seen it on secondary markets and Facebook forums, um, sports card forums. You know, more and more people are posting cards. And so I don't know if that's becoming a thing or if that's just something that maybe I'm wanting to see. Uh, but I'm definitely seeing more signed trading cards than I've ever signed before. I know a lot of our friends, I know we both have friends that are uh, in-person graphers. You know, if you go to a baseball game, do you really want to carry a dozen baseballs with you? You can get signed cards, you know, a page. It seems to me like if you're going to do in-person and you're not there to resell to everybody on the Internet, why not get cards, man? Yeah, I agree. Uh, talking, Speaking about cards and autographs, and you were talking about in-person, I uh, want to talk a little bit about TTMs. And for people who aren't familiar with TTMs, it stands for Through the Mail. It's, it's something people have been doing for years and years and years, decades, really. Uh, but it seems to me that it's really taken off over the last five years or so, uh, where you would just have more and more people. And I think part of it is probably access to information, access to the internet. Um, you can just gather so much information so quickly. And stuff like social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, all that stuff, uh, people can connect more. But TTM collecting, getting autographs through the mail, Garrett, a lot of people have done it for a while. I don't think there's many out there who do it better than you. You seem to have uh, incredible success. You, you've done really well, but TTMs, just want to talk with you a little bit about that uh, for a few moments. Um, it, it's something that I know some people over the years have been critical of. You have people who say, oh, it's all secretarial, oh, it's all fake, this and that. You know, clearly we both know that's not the case. It doesn't mean you don't have to look out for that stuff. But uh, it's, it's something that's increased in popularity and... Uh, it's something that's a lot of fun, which I think you'll agree, but at the same time, it can be a tremendous amount of work as well. Uh, it's not something that you just kind of do. It doesn't just happen. Uh, you got to put in time and effort. So if you want to discuss uh, some of your TTM uh, kind of collecting and your thoughts on TTMing. Definitely something I know a little bit about. So I got into TTMs when I was about 15 years old. There was a magazine. I don't know if you remember it, Mike, but it was called Tough Stuff. Oh, I remember kind of, it. Uh, <laughs> it had, like, the price guide and all the articles and all kinds of stuff. And yeah, I remember I they were – they had, like, all the sports in it as opposed to, like, a Beckett, which would you'd have to buy, like, four different Becketts. Right, yeah, it was competitor with Beckett. And in the bottom, they would have, like, I don't know, five to ten addresses of different players. And I remember one day they had – uh, uh, address for, I believe it was Kevin Bass, I believe. And that's, I, I, I was like, dang, man, I really like Kevin Bass, man. Like, there's no way I could write this guy and get something signed. So I asked my dad for two stamps. And at the time, you know, I was 16. I should have known this, but I didn't know how to write a freaking, um, a letter. You know, where does my address go? Where does their address go? I got a 30-second lesson on that for my old man. I hand-wrote a letter, and, you know, within, I don't know, 15, 20 days, I don't remember, uh, it came back in the mail. And I remember my dad saying, hey, Gary, you got mail. And I was like, 
Huh? That's me that impulse. It was my handwriting, but I did not instantly knew um, what it was. And so that's kind of where it grew. I had a buddy of mine in high school named Ken, and then me and him were um, submitting autographs through the mail. And it kind of grew. Um, once I joined the Navy in 2002, I kind of got away from the hobby for a while. And got back into it. I people uh, getting different TTMs. And so I was like, man, I had so much fun a couple of years ago when I was in high school. You know, let's get back into it. And so and there's so many resources out there. People ask me all the time, where do you go to get your addresses? And there's tons of them. You know, there's... Um, Star type. Um, I think it's Harvey or Harry Misselman. He has a book, Harvey Misselman. Um, there's so many places out there to get these addresses and find an address and a player that you like and, and send it off. I've gotten some returns through the years that, I mean, just blow me away. Two days ago, I got in Wayne Gray, um, something that I never would have given. There was a river on the street that was autographed with TTM. And through me doing group submissions, I've become really close with my TSA DNA rep. So I hit him up on a, on my cell phone and um, sent him some pictures. He's like, man, those are real, dude. Those aren't secretarial. Um, I got thrown twice, I think, for a total of three cards. Gotten cleats from J.J. Watt. And, and people always ask, you know, how do you do this? And I think, for one, you have to think outside of the box. And I'm not going to go into detail. I'll let our, uh, I'll let your listeners kind of figure out what that means. But if 100 people are writing a player and you're all sending the same envelope, that's not thinking outside the box. you got to be a little bit different. Next, once that athlete or celebrity opens up your your package or your envelope or whatever you sent them, they're going to want to read something that's sincere. They're not going to want to see a form letter. You know, they're going to want to know that you're actually writing them, you know. So that's, that's all there is to it, really. I mean, it doesn't take hardly any time to write a letter. I will say doing TTMs takes up probably quadruple the amount of time that being a certified collector does. You know, buying boxes or packs, TM routes is a lot less expensive. Kind of save a lot of money. And I rarely send to anyone. Well, not, I don't do it at all anymore, but I don't send to players that I don't know anything about or just because. Um, I would say when I was a kid, I was really bad at that. If I had a card, I would just send it to them. Um, but the older I get, you know, I want to hear back from some of these players and through my TTM letters being sincere and writing these players, I've gotten to email a bunch of players directly and, and have really nice dialogues with them. And I think one of the nicer ones I had was about six months ago, I wrote to Bobby Lassard, uh, the gentleman that just got inducted into the Football Hall of Fame, and his wife wrote me back. And she was saying she wanted to know who I was and why was I writing her husband. And so I told her who I was, why I collected, why I was writing him. And she said, it's, it's funny, Bobby hasn't signed his mail in years because he started seeing his stuff on the secondary market. And people were selling his stuff, and he didn't want people selling his items. But your letter, you sounded really sincere that you wanted his autograph for your personal 
and we're gonna, I, I'm gonna have Bobby sign your card. She went on to tell me that her husband has just dementia really bad, and some days are, are better than others, and that's another reason why he quit signing. So she had him sign my card, and five days later, I had two Bobby Lassard autographs. Yeah, TTMing is, it's a lot of fun. It can be a lot of work. Listen, if you're gonna send out one or two, it, it takes not much effort. But if you start trying to do it, you know, if you get really into it, and that's the thing about it, it's so addicting, it's so fun when they first come back. Because I did it a little bit when I was a kid, and then was out of it, you know, forever. And then I remember when I restarted send, sending out a few, and when they came back, it was just like, it was a thrill. It's like unbelievable. It, it makes getting the mail fun instead of getting bills and a bunch of crap that you don't want and advertising. You're getting autographs. You're getting cards signed by players that you really like. So, um, you know, people collect what they want through the mail. And, you know, I certainly think it's something that's fun to do. And I kind of go hot and cold with it. I, I still do it, but you get so busy and I'm so involved in the hobby in so many different ways that sometimes it's hard to find find the time to satisfy everything that I enjoy collecting with spring training coming up I'm certainly uh getting ready I just the other day kind of got a whole pile of envelopes I basically took an entire box of envelopes and put uh, return envelopes and put addresses on them and stamps and uh, I put index cards in them when I do it everyone has a different method so I, uh, I'm getting those ready, but TTMing can be a lot of fun, and I know you certainly have had a lot of success with it and have been doing it for a while, so it, it's something that's grown, and I know you're involved in social media, so you're on YouTube, username's Card Cutter, you've done really well with that, I know you have a lot of followers who look forward to your content on there, seeing your returns, and uh, over the years, things have continued to kind of shift a little bit. Facebook, there's just piles of groups, and also Instagram. Yeah, so I have an uh, Instagram. My Instagram is Slab City Sports Card. And I have a, uh, it's called a, a Facebook group for the group submissions that we'll get into talking here a little bit later um, called Slab City. It's uh, Slab City Sports Cards and Collectibles there. Um, so you can find us in either group, and uh, I kind of put my content on Instagram or on Facebook kind of weeks before I do YouTube videos. I have in front of me, I have a drawer of probably 125 cards or so that I haven't made a YouTube video of, but they're all have been on Instagram, so it's kind of a way to get a sneak peek at some of the stuff I've been getting in. Yeah, and it's just so fun, uh, the social media thing. It, it gives you a chance to kind of show off what you've gotten to help inspire other collectors to, you know, potentially try and reach out to either similar players that you've had success with or make them realize, you know what, it is possible for me to potentially get an autograph of a player that I really enjoy. Now, that doesn't mean be silly. I wouldn't recommend someone sell, shipping off a $300 card to someone doesn't mean you won't get it back it just means you're taking a hell of a chance with that but uh you know i think the social media what i was saying is it's great for you to be able to show that stuff off and help um help fuel the hobby a little bit help fuel uh people encourage them to be involved in it and on the flip side you know it's a great way to get information you're gonna have different people taking advantage of stuff and 
you know, there's good sides and bad sides to everything. But I mean, Instagram, which I'm not familiar with because I've never personally used it much, but you know, I hear a lot of people uh, talk up on it. But YouTube, Facebook, these are all ways to kind of get an idea of who's having successes. And it's a great way to just connect with people, uh, meet people. I know for me personally, I, I've met a lot of people over the years that you just kind of chat with a little bit here and there. And then next thing you know, you're, you have a phone call or two and then you're texting with, and you end up, some people you end up talking to on a near daily basis. And, you know, eventually, uh, you know, if the opportunity arrives, you have a chance to meet them in person. And uh, I just think the social media, I I know there's a lot of people out there who are anti-social media and this and that. And there's, Again, like everything, there's positives and negatives, but in terms of this hobby, um, it's certainly something that helps unite uh, collectors out there. Yeah, definitely, no doubt. Um, that was kind of one of my questions most is where do I get ideas for who to send to? And it's through YouTube videos and start watching people's videos, and obviously, whatever that got in, that athlete signed. Now they might may not tell you the address or how they went about getting it, but you know if they got it, you can get it. Um, Instagram is another good one. Um, I already touched on YouTube, Facebook, and and I would say when you're writing these people or writing comments on on other collectors' stuff, and you want to know an address or stuff, don't just write. This one kills me, Mike. I'm sure you get this a, a lot too. They'll write address, question mark, question mark, or what's the address, or Addy. And I'm like, I think to myself, I'm like, I don't even know you, man. And like, why would I help you if you're not even nice enough to say, hey, congratulations on an awesome return. That guy's been, I've been a big fan of that guy for years. Would you mind giving me that address? You know, I think, I think in hobby in general, some of us lack a lot of manners. And if they would just come at you in a polite way, I think a lot of people would get more responses than just Addy or address. I think that's probably similar to if you send a TTM and just say, sign this. <laughs> but no, yeah, I've gotten that. I've actually gotten that comment before. Someone said Addy with a question mark, and I just replied, yes, they have one. And they just <laughs> rep- they're like, well, what is it? I was like, I don't know. I've done that too. I said, I wrote, yes, I did send to an address. Yeah, it's funny. But that comes with the territory, obviously. You're going to have just some people that are just trying to jump on anything and everything. It happens. But uh, discuss the TTMs, and I kind of introduced it saying that there have been a lot of people through the years that have been critical of it, and they, they they don't like to believe anything unless they see it. And we all know it's gone on over time. There's certain guys that are known to have secretarial stuff. There's people who have used stamps over time. Uh, Those issues, you know, do arise from time to time. But I I would go ahead and say, in my experience, more times than not, these things are legitimately being opened by the addressee and they're being signed. And uh, it goes with in-person stuff as well. I know you're into the authentication. This is something that's really grown grown over the last few years. I think while you've had a rise in terms of just card grading with PSA, Beckett, uh, 
uh, SGC, that stuff's all become really popular with the grading of cards. At the same time, parallel to that, you've had these companies that authenticate autographs, and they'll do it on any type of memorabilia. But in terms of cards, they'll authenticate the signature, and then they'll encapsulate it. And that's just another aspect uh, to the hobby, having it authenticated, which brings people a peace of mind that certainly increases value because more people are willing to buy that rather than something that hasn't been authenticated. And the slab itself um, certainly helps the eye appeal. It's something that can, you know, uh, in my opinion, you know, just enhance the overall experience of a card. Uh, the slab can do so much to just, I don't know, it just makes certain cards just pop. And especially if the signature's in the right place, the right color. So I want to get your thoughts on uh, authentication and getting things slabbed up, adding those to your collection. Obviously, it adds value, like I said. And then, uh, you know, we can talk a little bit about your group, Slab City uh, Group Autograph Authentication uh, Submissions, which the group itself has kind of taken off over the last few months. And it's uh, it's definitely become a great community of its own uh, of people who enjoy collecting slabbed cards. Yeah, so I kind of got into the the group authentication just by thinking one day that I seen all of my friends, uh, some I would call collecting associates, and we're all trading cards. You know, at the time nothing was graded, nothing was authenticated, and I'm like, man. I'm pretty sure this guy is trading that guy. That thing looks weird. That autograph looks fake. And so I didn't know anything about group authentication at all. At the time, I've done a couple personal PSA submissions. So I called the uh, PSA DNA office in California and told them who I was, um, what I was looking to do, how many items I was looking to submit on, you know, somewhat regular basis. They gave me a hell of a discount. Um, I believe it was because, you know, I'm in the military. They kept telling me that over and over, thanks for your service, and we would like to offer you this this amount. Um, and so I just continued that discount onto it started as just my friends. And I had a couple friends that were like, man, you could offer this to a lot of people. And I have a feeling a lot of people would want to get their great their autographs authenticated and slabbed just so they know that it's real. And and that is kind of another reason I got into it. I think a lot of people plan on passing down their collection to their children. And to put it bluntly, like I didn't want to pass down a shit product to my kids. You know, if you pass something down to your family members, you want it to be nice. You want it to be something that they like. And I can't think of something nicer than them knowing that, hey, everything dad gave us is real because it's authenticated by the most reputable company in the business. And so that's kind of why I got into it. Um, through that Slab City group, that is definitely becoming a, a community that I didn't think was going to take off. Um, people post different slabs or slabbed and authenticated autographs that they got just so other people can be excited for them. And it's been really fun. I get the question a lot of, well, why would I want to get this Ben Roethlisberger card slabbed? I know it's real. It just came in the mail. Well, okay. Well, getting it slabbed, since you already know it's real, getting it slabbed adds a little bit of validity to it. 
it definitely adds value to it. You know, we all come across hard times or something. You can sell a Ben Roethlisberger signed card that's not authenticated for 15, maybe 20 bucks, where you could sign or sell one that's authenticated and slabbed for, you know, 70, 80, maybe even gone up if it's a rookie card. So it definitely adds value there. And then I know you talk about this a lot, the eye appeal. You know, so if you had a picture of your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, and you put it on the on the wall with a tack or a piece of tape, yeah, people might be like, you know what, that's that's nice, that's a nice picture. Well, when you put it in a picture frame, it looks a lot nicer. You know, it's a lot easier on the eyes. It kind of draws your eyes to, wow, that's a beautiful picture. Oh, I love that picture frame. And that's kind of how I look at a slab card is. Yeah, that card might be nice, and it might have a nice signature, but for some reason, and and I've heard you say it a thousand times, when it's in that slab, it just looks so much better. I don't know why, um, but it does. And I think eye appeal is is a factor in value. Uh, I think that's another thing that helps. And you know, I agree with everything you said. And your little uh, your little example there of the photograph tacked on the wall or taped on the wall might be my favorite uh, favorite thing I've ever heard. That was that was awesome. But it but it's so true. A, a nice frame is going to enhance a photograph, and a nice slab is going to enhance a card. And you know, I I absolutely agree with you know, whatever your reason is for getting something authenticated. And like, I understand there's cost and that's one of the benefits of your group. Everyone can get stuff done at an affordable price, you know, cause let's be honest, PSA, um, while I enjoy their services, they can get a little pricey. And over the course of the last two years, their specials, their, the specials they offer have kind of, dwindled they used to actually have a lot of specials which i think got a lot of people um kind of hyped up on their services uh i know you know i kind of went through that at times uh, i would take advantage of them but the specials haven't been uh they haven't been out there as much um part of it and i'm sure the main reason is psa and it goes for beckett as well has become so popular that so many people are submitting stuff that it seems to me like they're kind of having a hard time keeping up and i know uh, that goes for the auto, the authentication services as well as for the grading services. They're still doing things in as timely of a fashion as they can, but they're just getting so much volume in. And with people submitting through you, they can get that special price as opposed to sending things in on their own where they're paying 25 and $35 a piece. They can save 10 or $15. So that that's definitely a, a benefit. And, you know, to me... If I have things that are worth getting encapsulated and authenticated, I want to get that done. I want to get it done because it's nicer for my collection. But like you said, you got to think about the future. You don't know what the future holds. Uh, maybe at some point you have to sell off some of your collection and you have this enhanced value now. And if the time comes where it just gets passed down to someone else, you want to, like you said, you want to pass them down something that not only is really nice and they may keep for themselves, but if they're not as interested in, they're getting nice stuff that they can move. And it's a lot less stressful because they know what they have. They know they have value and anyone, if you're selling it can be assured that this stuff is real, that this stuff 
is, uh, you know, in great shape and stuff like that. And I think those are all factors in uh, increasing value and all reasons why I would always consider getting things authenticated and encapsulated. Right. And I know one thing I get asked a lot is, and this is by guys that have, guys and gals um, that have never done a submission, is why would I send my stuff to you when I can do it myself? And you're right, you can do it yourself, but I'll give you an example. So if you, you know, go through PSA, um, PSA DNA, and you submit a Peyton Manning, you know, that's $30. So they're going to charge you $30 to get that Peyton Manning slab, and then you're going to have to pay for shipping for them to send it back to you, plus they make you pay for insurance, okay? If you go through me, that same Peyton Manning is going to be $15. That's it. Because in that $15, I'm including return shipping back to you. That's not including any of the insurance fees, any of the shipping that goes from them to me. And so for $15, you can get your Peyton Manning card authenticated and shipped back to you. And so on that one card, that's about an estimated with shipping and insurance and all that, you you know, you've saved about twenty to twenty five dollars on that one item. And I think a lot of people have jumped on board and my last submission that is at PSA right now uh, was my largest ever. It was six hundred and forty seven cards. Um, which is just incredible. I mean, I would have never guessed that many people um would have trusted me and my wife, because my wife does this with me, um, that would trust us enough with their collectibles. And, you know, I take that on board, and that's another reason why I got in it, you know, on, and why I do the steps and the processes that I do when doing group submissions. That's why in the group you'll see a picture of your cards when I get them, and you'll see people commenting on how cool your cards are. That's nice, or that's really sweet. How'd you get that? And then I'm going to let you know when I ship them, and I'm going to send you a picture in the group of my receipt going to PSA DNA. And then I'm going to let you know when PSA DNA gets our card and when they charge my credit card. And then once the results are up, I'm going to put the results on the page. And then I'm going to do a live box reveal. And then I'm going to PM you directly with a delivery confirmation with your card going back to you. So there's never a second of the process when your cards leave your house that you don't know where your cards are. And that's another reason I got into group submitting because I was tired of sending my cards to somebody and then eight weeks later they show up. I don't know how long they've been sitting on them. I don't know where they've been, what they've been doing. But when you submit your stuff with me, you will know where your items are every step of the process. I'm sure your collectibles are as precious to you as mine are to me. And I want to know where my stuff's at. So I assumed other collectors wanted to know where their stuff is at. And I can attest to uh, how how well the uh, the process is carried out because I've submitted with you uh, for most of your group submissions here in the last I want to say year or so. So you're certainly uh, very on the ball and updating stuff. So I certainly appreciate that. And you know I certainly recommend anyone out there interested checking out Garrett's group. You can go on the Facebook and probably go ahead and do a search. Slab City alone will most likely bring it up, but the more information you put in, you can find. You can contact Garrett through Instagram and, uh, of course, YouTube as well, Card Cutter. So 
for anyone out there listening, if you're listening on the YouTube feed, I will post a link to Garrett's group down there. If you're listening on SoundCloud or iTunes, just do a simple search, and I'm sure it'll come up. Uh, I certainly recommend using Garrett, and I I recommend getting things authenticated and encapsulated. I uh, I really do enjoy it. I love I love all the stuff you can get out of packs and all the cards there. I I certainly still collect all that stuff, but being able to choose the card you get autographed or go out and pick a a base card because there's so many cards put out that just work so well for autographs. Uh, I personally love to collect Allen and Ginters. Um, Anyone who watches my YouTube stuff is probably sick of me saying I love Allen and Ginters, but I do. I just think they're fantastic for autographs. And, uh, you know, I get as many of them as I can and I'll get certain ones signed in person i'll get ones uh through the mail i'll purchase ones and there have been times where i've purchased i've taken a chance and made purchases uh for non-authenticated ones and sent them in and gotten them slabs so that's always great as well all right garrett i absolutely appreciate you joining the podcast today uh before we wrap things up uh any brief thoughts on super bowl 52 i have a lot of really good friends that are Eagles fans. And I, I really thought the Eagles were going to get exposed. Um, I just didn't think they were a Super Bowl champion caliber team. Um, and with terrific Tom always coming through in the clutch, I don't think anyone's seen him, you know, dropping a ball that was, you know, was easily he could have caught or a fumble or, you know. I just, you're so used to him performing in the clutch. And like Chris Collinsworth said at the end, you give him, he's like, he said, this game ain't over yet with a minute and 30 on the clock. This is might as well be like two years to Tom Brady. And like, I would have been willing to bet you 200 bucks at the time. Like, hey, this dude's going to come back. This is Tom Brady. He has a minute and 30 seconds left. It's on. And that wasn't the case, man. So it'll be interesting to see with him 40 years old now, what does he do? You know? Is this going to be the beginning of the end, if you will, of Tom Brady and, and being a active NFL player? It certainly will be interesting. As a Patriots fan living in Philadelphia, this was not um not one of my favorite Super Bowl results. But at the same time, and I, I've said it to a lot of people, and I made, I made a lot of phone calls, left some voicemails following the game. Uh, anytime you, you watch a team lose a Super Bowl that you put time, effort, energy, uh, money emotion into it's extremely disappointing but at the same time like you i have a lot of really good friends who are eagles fans and uh family members as well so uh as tough as a loss can be it's um you know it gives me some joy to see uh see them happy for sure and uh in terms of the hobby uh you know we'll we'll see what happens uh you know i don't know if there was any real hobby effect with the eagles um, but Tom Brady, you would think losing a Super Bowl would kind of hurt the hobby love one gets, and Tom Brady stuff is ridiculous, and I've been kind of following the market, and right now you can buy a few of his rookie cards a little cheaper than a day before the Super Bowl, but honestly the market hasn't moved much, because even though uh, New England lost the Super Bowl, Tom Brady at you know 40 still threw for 500 yards and three touchdowns and had an incredible game. Obviously that fumble late in the game hurt him, but they still got the ball back and until the final seconds were still in it. So it was certainly uh, certainly a fun overall game to to watch. I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens with Nick Foles. Uh, I think 
Nick Foles perform to the absolute peak of his ability. This is, I hope I'm wrong, but I think he performed to the peak of his ability, and we would be lucky if we ever seen him play that well again. And I fear some team, man, I hope it's not my Texans, go and spend an act contract on this guy, and he's going to come out and be the Nick Foles that we've all seen time and time again, and they're just going to blow a ton of money on this dude. Well, I think you're right about one thing. I, I don't know that he'll ever be able to perform as well as he did uh, during the course of that NFC Championship and Super Bowl. Absolutely unbelievable. Uh, with that being said, congratulations to Eagles fans out there. I'm sure there'll be a few listening to the podcast. Uh, congratulations on your first Super Bowl championship. And Garrett, again, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, a lot of great information here. Hopefully people check out your group. And just remember, when you guys are sending TTM requests out, you want to be smart about it, but there's always a chance, so it's certainly worth taking a shot. Yeah, Mike, thanks for having me. I appreciate you reaching out to me and, and wanting me to get on here. I know a couple of weeks ago, or maybe about a month ago, I knew when you started this, I was hoping to, to get on here before I go on a deployment in April. So really happy to get in here before I had to bounce out for the rest of the year. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for your service. Thank you for joining me. And thank you guys for listening. Really appreciate it. Remember, if you're listening, iTunes, SoundCloud, hit the subscribe button. Give a review. Definitely will appreciate it. And for those on YouTube, uh, make sure you uh, do the same thing. Post a comment down below. Let me know what you think. And uh, check out Garrett's channel as well. And have yourselves a great one. Mm-hmm.